Welcome to the podcast of Eden Worship Center. We believe that God has perfectly revealed himself through scripture alone, and that salvation comes by grace alone, from faith alone in Christ alone, and that everything is for the glory of God alone. So as we study God's unchanging, inerrant word together, ask God to open your eyes, to open your eyes to see yourself and your own sin clearly. Open your eyes to see Jesus clearly, and pray that God would give you the grace to repent, to turn from your sin, and the faith to trust in Christ alone for your salvation. If you'd like more information, go to our website at edenworshipcenter.co. 1 Samuel 30, starting in verse 1, reading through verse 8. Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Malachites had made a raid against the Negeb and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it both small and great. They ki- killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow, widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He answered him, Pursue. For you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you that we can come together and study your word. It is you who open our hearts and our minds to understand your word. And I pray that you would do this this morning and you would teach us from your scriptures. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. I was incredibly grateful that Matt volunteered me to speak this morning, and as I think about today, I was also reminded of the story that I heard about the older couple where she kept coming to him and saying, do you love me? Do you still love me? Finally, the old guy said, look, I told you I loved you on the day I married you. If I change my mind, I'll let you know. Obviously, you didn't think that was as funny as I thought it was. But to say thank you to those of you who are our first responders, to say thank you especially to the spouses, to the kids. And I'm, you know, I'm so thankful. I'm just a chaplain, but I'm so thankful for my wife, Janice, who understands. And when I get back from a bad one. She doesn't say anything. Oh, she might say it was pretty bad, wasn't it? But what she'll do is she'll just come. I walk in the front door and there in our living room, she'll just put her arms around me and just hold me. For those of you who are spouses and family members, we couldn't do what we do. You couldn't do, first responders, what you do if it wasn't for them.
I confess that I have a lot of emotions as I think about 9-11. All of us face moments of crisis and moments of trauma. And those just can overwhelm us. If you're a first responder, you've seen things that no one should ever have to see. And it's those things that you can never unsee. You just try to find a way to cope with them because the memories can be haunting. Sometimes it's images. Sometimes it's a smell. Sometimes, for you first responders, just seeing some of those pictures just evokes a whole lot of memories and a whole lot of emotions. Picture at the bottom from July 4th of this year. You see a police officer overwhelmed by the carnage. See that firefighter carrying that small child. There's later pictures where that firefighter is doing compressions to try and save that child's life. The other fireman from 9-11 sitting amidst, amidst the ashes and the ruins. And if you're a first responder, I know that there are things going through your mind right now. You're thinking about things. You're thinking about details. You're thinking about incidences you were on. They can haunt you. How do you handle this? There's a new term that's being used now. It's called accumulative career trauma. It builds up over a lifetime. And for those of you who are not a first responder or a family member of a first responder, you may not know this. But over the past number of years, every year consistently, we have lost more first responders to suicide than we have line of duty deaths because of the things that they see and the things that they carry. In fact, I just went out this morning earlier, went out onto the website Blue Help, looked up some statistics. Statistics that were updated as of this morning. Across the nation, 2021, we lost 182 first responders to suicide. So far this year, and we're just in September, that number is up at 116. And tragically, it's growing. That does not take into account those who have died in the line of duty, or even yet, what was it yesterday? two police officers ambushed and maliciously killed. How do you survive? How do you cope with these things? Especially in an environment where we've gone through efforts to defund the police, fire departments needing to wear body armor as they're going to help people in distress. How do you handle all of that? 
We don't say thank you enough to you men and women who serve. As I considered our time this morning and as I was praying about it, I went back to this passage of scripture. I have to tell you, my oldest son, great man of God that he is, <clears throat> when I told him where I was going, he goes, oh yeah, I've heard that sermon a hundred times. Hopefully this one's going to be a little bit different. But this whole event that takes place in 1 Samuel 30 just intrigues me because here is David, mighty warrior. He's seen it all. He saw great victory over Goliath when he's just a boy. He knows what it is to be on the battlefield and see all the carnage. He understands. And yet, in the circumstances of what happens here, he is overwhelmed and his grief is multiplied because his own men speak of mutiny and murder. How do you handle that? Interesting place called Ziklag. I'm not sure uh, if it... I, I just heard this week that it has been uncovered and they've discovered where it is about 60 miles south of Jerusalem. Lord willing, end of October, I will be in Israel with uh, a COPS unity tour and meeting with the Israeli police. Get to stay in the police barracks. How cool is that? And meeting with the rabbi who is the lead uh, of their chaplaincy program, being able to participate in a, nine, a service at the 9-11 memorial outside of Jerusalem. I didn't even know they had a memorial to our 9-11. We don't know exactly what the name Ziklag means, but we know what happened there. We know that in Joshua chapter 15, when the land is, is conquered, it's given to the tribe of Judah. Chapter 19, it's given to Simeon. Interesting things happening to understand the context of this passage. In chapter 27 of 1 Samuel, David has been anointed to be the next king over Israel. And yet in the midst of that, he experiences a crisis of faith because King Saul is trying to kill him. And in verse 1 of chapter 27, the scripture says, but David said in his heart, Now I will perish one day by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me and any longer give up on me so I shall escape his hand. Now here's the interesting thing. David, knowing who he is, knowing he's the next anointed king over Israel, allows circumstances to control him. And lest we be too critical of David, the same can be said for us. Circumstances, situations that we encounter overwhelm us and we forget as well. So David takes his two wives and 600 of his men. And of all things, think about the irony of this. He goes to Gath, the hometown of of Goliath. 
Now, I will resist the temptation of going on and on about that, but think about the irony. You are now escaping for your life. You are the one who not only brought down their national hero with a stone, but used his own sword to cut off his head, and you're going to go seek refuge in the hometown of the national hero that you have killed in battle. What an irony. What's even more amazing is that Achish, king of Gath, welcomes him with open arms. I find that just fascinating. And Achish then gives to him the city of Ziklag. And for something like a year and four months, David is living in Ziklag. And David and his men are going out and making raids. Achish, king of Gath, thinks that David's going out and raiding areas in Israel, when in reality, he's, re he's raiding areas in Philistia and wiping everybody out so nobody can tell. Well, the battle ensues. And what's interesting in chapter 29 is that for the first time in David's life, he shows up at the right place on the, at the right time, but he's on the wrong side. He has come to join the five lords of the Philistines who are fly, fighting against King Saul. Now, the interesting thing is, Achish is welcome him again. But the other four lords of the Philistines are suspicious. They say, this is the Gingrich translation, by the way, wants to say that in the middle of the battle, he's not going to turn on us and begin to fight against us and fight with Saul. Now, we don't know. Unfortunately, we will never know what David's true intentions were. But David and his men were not allowed to fight. So after three days, they go back and we find what we read here in 1 Samuel chapter 30. Ziklag has been taken. It's been burned. The women and the children, everything they have has been stolen by the Amalekites and carried off. There's an interesting thing here. We read these Old Testament things and these Old Testament names and uh, let's be honest, sometimes they're really hard to pronounce so I always tell people say it real fast with confidence and people will know that think you know how to say it. I didn't have phonics so I struggle, okay? But the Amalekites, there's something important here that we need to understand. The Amalekites were a people that God told King Saul to utterly destroy, and he didn't do it. And they were continually a thorn in the side of the children of Israel. Here they come, and they steal everything David has. Here's a principle if we don't obey God, if we don't put to death in our lives those things that God says needs to go, they will become a source of bondage to us. Disobedience always comes back to haunt us. It's inescapable. But the point of what I want to share with us this morning is how do we respond to crisis? What's the path to recovery? What's the path to restoration? Again, keep in mind, here is David, a mighty man of God, a mighty warrior. And yet, his grief is overwhelming. 
And it's multiplied, it says, because his own men spoke of stoning him. They held him responsible, and rightly so. David was the leader. And clearly, he did not leave an adequate defense of the city. Or certainly, someone would have died defending the city. But he didn't do it. I can't imagine what it was like. Verse 4, where David and his men weep until there is no strength in them to weep. We're talking about tough men, ladies and gentlemen. We're talking about warriors. And yet what grief strikes the blow, it is overwhelming. Again, when I saw that picture from July 4th in um, Highland Park, Illinois, seeing the grief of that officer, I, I was just, I was gripped by it. Because until you, you've been on scene, you don't understand. You don't understand what it's like for these men and women. I, won't, I will spare you the gory details, but it was only a few months ago when Matt and I both received a phone call on a Sunday because two of our sheriff's deputies had witnessed a man take his life right in front of them with three children inside the house he was outside and the mother the trauma of that and then do you know what happened almost at the same time as the funeral home had come and the body had been collected they get a call because they have to go to a drowning how do you carry those things? Now, I'm sparing you a lot of details, but it's important for us to understand. And I would just say to you who are our guests today as a church, this is one of the reasons that we are so blessed to be able to honor you on a day like today. Because in measure, we understand a bit of what you face because of what you choose to do to serve our community. What I think is so important, and I want to give you about three or four things here quickly. Number one, intriguing thing in verse 6. In the midst of David's grief, which is multiplied because his own men start talking about killing him, it says, David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. How do you do that? See, David didn't wallow in grief or in self-pity, but he took conscious steps to build himself up in God. It was something that was both emotional and it was spiritual. It was recounting his faith. One of the things that I, that I think about a lot is when David confronts Goliath and he's before King Saul, this is before Saul's trying to kill him, Saul looks at him and said, how are you going to do this? How are you going to fight the giant? And David's word is, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from this Philistine. You find that in 1 
Samuel 17, 34 through 37, where he's got a history of faith. I'm telling you, folks, in that moment of crisis, you either have it or you don't. And if you don't have it, you don't have time to get it. I think of something that Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman says. He's actually uh, quoting a Greek philosopher. When he talks in that moment of crisis, he says, we don't rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. That's why first responders, you train, you train, you train, you train. And you know, practice doesn't make perfect. You all know that, right? Practice makes permanent. It's only perfect practice that makes perfect. That's why you train with sincerity. Because we all think, oh, if this happens, I'm going to do this and this. The reality is the freeze, fight, or flight mode takes over and we fall to the level of our training. Let me ask us something, because here is David, a mighty warrior, and yet he understood he needed to be emotionally and spiritually built up. I may ask you this morning, and it's not just for the first responders, but for all of us. What are you doing to emotionally and spiritually prepare for those moments of crisis and tragedy that inevitably come into life. Now, that's especially true for first responders because you're seeing it all the time. But for all of us, what are we to do? Yesterday afternoon, I was in the hospital in Fort Wayne with a, with a young woman who all of a sudden is told within the last couple of weeks she has aggressive cancer how do you deal with that? How do you prepare yourself spiritually for what goes on? If you aren't taking conscious steps now, when that moment crisis comes, it's too late to get it. It's not enough just to say, oh, I believe in the man upstairs. That's not enough. There's a second thing that I see. David doesn't react out of his emotions, which are very raw and real, but David seeks God. He's not acting out of anger. He's not acting out of revenge or the emotion of the moment. And he doesn't rely on his own wisdom and military experience and ability. He says, I want to hear from God. So he calls for Abathar the priest and says, bring the ephod, which was a form of their discernment of God's will. God, what do I do? How do I handle this situation? You know, when I was putting this together for this morning, I, you know, I suddenly became aware again that if I'm not actively seeking and listening to God on a regular basis, it's going to be very difficult to hear, let alone recognize his voice in that moment of crisis. That's why it's so important that we establish a pattern of seeking God and waiting on God and listening to God and obeying God now. Because in that moment, as 
Lieutenant Colonel Grossman says, we don't rise to the level of our expectation, we fall to the level of our training. That's why we need to begin to learn what it is to believe God. We didn't read these verses, but beginning in verse 8, let me just tell you the rest of the story. I feel a little bit like the late Paul Harvey, and most of you in here today have no idea who Paul Harvey was. But those are my age, you got it, you've already started to chuckle. One of the things that he did every day, many of us listen to Paul Harvey with the news. And then he did this short program, The Rest of the Story, and he did always end it. And now you know the rest of the story. Let me give you the rest of the story really quick because it works out well. It's, it's a blessing. David seeks God. It's interesting. God gives him a one-word command and a two-fold promise. You see it in verse 8. Pursue. Go after him. I love that. Here's the promise. You're going to overtake, you're going to catch them, and you're going to rescue all. Here's the thing I wanted us to see. As David hears from God, he believes God, he trusts God, and then he acts upon what God has told him to do. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us specifically how he heard all of this. It has something to do with the high priest. It has something to do with the ephod, which was used, and the two stones in there, the Urim and the Thunum, but we won't go into that. The point is he heard from God. One word command and a twofold promise. You shall surely overtake them, and you shall surely rescue all. And when you go down through the, the verses, down through verse 20, it's fascinating to read the story. Because David and his men have been off marching. And they come to this one brook and there's 200 of them that are just too exhausted to go any farther. And David says, stay here. And 400 go. And they catch up with the enemy. It's amazing what the enemy says, what the Bible says in verse 17. It said, David slaughtered them from twilight until morning of the next day. Not a man escaped except 400 young men who rode away on camels. I thought, this is interesting. They ran away on camels. Why would the Bible say there were 400? Well, let me tell you what I think for what it's worth. David had gone after him with 600 men. 200 were too exhausted to go any farther. So it's David and his 400 men who go after the enemy, and it's 400 who escape. I think it's a reminder, David, God's saying, I'm doing this, it's not you. I love what verse 18 says, if you have your Bible open. It says, so David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken, and he'd rescued his two wives. It's family. He rescues family. And then I love uh, what, it, what it says down in... in uh, Verse 20, so David captured all, all. He got the family. He got his possessions, which was the source of his wealth. And when they go back to their city of Ziklag, they catch up with and meet up with the 200 have been too exhausted. 
And David gives commands that you share the victory. Because the 400 don't want to share with the 200 who are there. But David said, you shall not do so, my brother, with what the Lord has given us. He has preserved us and given into our hands the band that came against us. David says, we're going to share and we're going to share alike. Even with those 200 who didn't go with us and actually fight the battle. Because we're in this together. And it was God who did this. It was God who gave us the victory in everything that we have. I love David's acknowledgement of God in the moment of victory. He isn't going to take the credit for himself. Now, let's try to bring this together. What can we learn from this? What's the takeaway for us? Number one, I'm encouraged again that God will accomplish his divine purposes in your life and mine. We're not a cosmic mistake. God has a purpose and a plan. He is going to accomplish his purposes in our lives. Sometimes it's either going to happen joyously for us or it's going to happen as we come kicking and screaming. But God is God and we are not. And he's going to accomplish what he wants to do. Number two. We can't allow ourselves to be controlled by circumstances and the emotion of the moment. For those of you who are first responders, I know from experience what happens. You get out on scene and it may be ugly, but your training kicks in because you know your job on scene and you are there. It's only later that it hits you. But the adrenaline kicks in at that moment, and you do your job. But it's afterwards I have to recognize my emotions, and I have to deal with those. And as one who said, things aren't going to bother me, I learned otherwise. See, one of the things that happens, for those of you who are not first responders or members of a first responders family, let me tell you what often happens is when first responders get together, it isn't long until they start swapping war stories about things that have gone on, details they've worked. These things do affect us. Number three, because they affect us, we need to learn how to strengthen ourselves and to build ourselves up in God. First responders, we didn't bring you here to death today to grab you by the nap of the neck and beat you over the head with Bibles. But we'll say this, without God, you will not survive. Without learning how to build yourself up in God, you will not survive. I began by sharing some of those tragic statistics of suicides among first responders because they hit a point where they can't handle it anymore. And it feels like the only option is to end it all. We need God. 
Seeking God before we act is vital success. Number five, the last one. We need to always give God the glory when he gives us victory. And we need to share the blessing. Worship team, if you will come and join me. You know, I would just say to you, I don't know where you are in your faith walk this morning. I don't know what your relationship is with Jesus Christ. But if you don't know him beyond, well, I believe in the man upstairs, I want to encourage you today to open your heart, your life, open your mind to him. He loves you more than you know. I'm amazed that God knows us by name. He knows us better than we know ourselves, and yet he loves us. I want to encourage you to open your life to him. If you've got questions, if you want somebody to talk to, reach out to me. Reach out to Matt. Reach out to one of the Christians in your department. They'll be glad to share with you. One of the things that we always want to do is to try to have something, especially for families. And families, if you're here today, whether you're a first responder or not, but especially first responders, take a few minutes to talk about what it must have been like for David and his men to discover that their families and everything that they had taken was suddenly gone. And then talk about the importance of finding our strength in God. If you can, talk about times where you experience God's faithfulness. Uh, I love that we sang that song this morning, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Talk about some of the specifics of where you found God's faithfulness in difficult times and how that's a source of renewing your courage and your strength. May I say to us as families, that is vitally important to, dear, to hear that. Your kids, your grandkids need to hear you talk about that. And then finally... Pray together. Give thanks to the God who loves us more than we could ever begin to understand for his loving care. And ask him to open your eyes to be able to see his hand at work in your lives in ways that you've not recognized. Would you stand together and pray with me? Oh, Lord, what a blessing. What a privilege it is to gather together. Lord, I thank you for the example in the life of David who in the midst of grief and tragedy and trauma knew what it was to strengthen himself in you. And we acknowledge this morning that while we believe in you, 
knowing how to strengthen ourselves and build ourselves up spiritually and draw strength from your presence in our life is often very difficult. But I pray, Holy Spirit, by your living word, would there be an impartation into our hearts and lives today of the Father's love, an impartation of your watch and care over us. God, by your spirit, through your word, teach ourselves to build ourselves up in you emotionally and spiritually so that when that moment of crisis and tragedy does hit, we can be like David, who in the midst of his grief didn't operate on raw emotion, but sought you, believed you, obeyed you, and saw your victory, and saw his family and his fortunes restored. And Lord, as you do that in us, we will give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining our podcast. We pray that God would bless you and strengthen you through his word. If you'd like to find out more about EWC or give tithes and offerings in support of this ministry, visit our website at edenworshipcenter.co.